0: You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles with you, please turn there now. Uh, Chapter 17, 1 Kings. And Lord, as we're digging in tonight, just speak. I just so desire just to be a vessel for you. Just totally knowing my weaknesses, feeling like there weren't enough hours in the day today. I just felt like I could have studied for another two days over this study. And, And so, Lord, just all that is in your heart accomplish God just even thinking as I was studying that that uh you were there uh (laughs) there in first kings chapter 17 18 and 19 Lord you were there with Elijah and you wrote this book and you're here in this room and so Lord anything that I would miss or any application that needs to be brought just even thinking as we were worshiping that this is who's supposed to be here tonight and uh and Lord you have a word for each one of us and so just bring it Lord We're just here to hear, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So, 1 Kings uh, is basically setting up uh, and giving the understanding for us as to why um, Israel was divided into two nations, the northern nation of Israel and the southern nation of Judah. And 1 Kings also tells us why uh, they were taken away into captivity uh, why they were taken away into the Assyrian captivity and why they were taken away into the Babylonian captivity and so uh, We're all learning. We're all growing. There's a little bit of Bible school involved at the Wednesday night Bible studies uh, I don't want it to be merely head knowledge, but there is also some encouraging stuff uh, To learn and to grow in knowledge wise in the in the scriptures And so we'll do a little bit of that as well I'm already learning what colors show up great on powerpoints and what don't but um uh, just a quick timeline, uh, very quick, of the Old Testament. Um, Abraham was around the year 2000 BC. Okay, so it's a pretty simple timeline. You can just remember about five different dates in your head. Abraham, 2000 BC. Moses, about 500 years later, 1500 BC. Then David came at about 1000 BC. And then his son was Solomon. So just kind of stacked right up on top of each other. David, his son Solomon. And remember, as we've been studying in First Kings, First Kings started out with Solomon being crowned king. And there were warnings given to Solomon that what? If you will obey me, the Lord says, and keep my commandments and keep my statutes and keep my testaments, I'll give you everything you could ever want. And that was the promise to the children of Israel as they came into the land back in Deuteronomy. I'll give you, I'll bless your lands, I'll bless your politics, I'll bless your people, I'll bless everything if you'll just obey me. And um, But if you disobey me, uh, the warning was given to Solomon that, you know, uh, the temple that you've built will be destroyed, the nation will be torn out of your hands. And three different times Solomon was given the warning, and you remember there uh, in chapter 9, the warning was the strongest, that if you disobey me, the temple that you've built will be destroyed, this glorious temple, and Jerusalem will be destroyed. And the nation will be divided, and it will happen when people come into Jerusalem, that uh, they will hiss and, and, and kind of curse, and it'll be like a proverb or a byword. What happened to Jerusalem? What happened to these people that such destruction would come to this place? And the answer there in First Kings chapter 9 is that they would, um, they would be told that the people disobeyed the Lord their God and turned after other gods. And so that's exactly what happened. Solomon had three chances. And, uh, and uh, as the old little Peter Cottontail hopping through the forest, picking up the field mice and bopping them on the heads, and the good fairy came down and said, I'll give you three chances. Stop bopping them on the head or I'm going to turn you into a goon. Well, uh, sorry, I have a a two-and-a-half-year-old. So Solomon had three chances, got bopped on the head, turned into a goon, sort of, something like that. But um, what really happened was that after Solomon, the kingdom was divided, okay? Now, that's a key date. Now, his son Rehoboam came uh, into the kingship, but then uh, a civil war basically happened. There was division, and uh, in 931 B.C., Israel was divided into the northern kingdom of Israel, which was 10 tribes, and the southern kingdom of Judah, which was two tribes, Benjamin and, uh, and Judah. So kingdom division is a big date in Israel's history uh, at 931 BC. And then that's where we're at in the word right now. The kingdom's been divided and we're studying all of the different kings. And, uh, and there's explanation as to why Israel was judged. And as we've been reading, um, the King Jeroboam led Israelites off into idol worship, and Rehoboam led his kids into idol worship in Judah. And so uh, we'll get into the kings in just a second. But because there was idol worship and they were following pagan gods, and a lot of that had to do with child sacrifice and sexual prostitution and uh, perversion in the worship uh and so um, Israel was taken to captivity first there in the white in 722 BC. And then 100 and, about 150 years later, um, the prophets were crying out to Judah to learn from their sister Israel, but they wouldn't learn. They wouldn't turn away from those false gods and follow after Yahweh, the one true God. And so Nebuchadnezzar and his Babylonian army came in and uh, took over in 586 BC, the Babylonian captivity. So that's just a little bit of a timeline for you guys. And then uh, if we can just get to the next slide, uh, we'll just look at the kings that we've studied so far. So we have Saul, who was the first king of Israel. Okay, you read about him in 1 Samuel. And then in 2 Samuel, you read about uh, he had a son named Ishbosheth, but Ishbosheth's general, Absalom, didn't really like Ishbosheth. And so Absalom came to David and said, hey, I'll just give you over the kingdom here and, uh, and we'll kill. And uh, he killed Ishbosheth and gave David the kingdom. And so uh, David was given the kingdom. And uh, the, the star next to the name represents a king that had a heart after the Lord. Okay, so David had a bunch of sons. Couple of which were Adonijah and Absalom, but his uh, like second to youngest son Solomon was given the throne. He was ordained by God to be king. Solomon had a son named Rehoboam, and that's when the kingdom divides. Okay, so Rehoboam over in the green becomes the king of Judah, the southern kingdom of Judah. Okay, at the same time, one of Solomon's mighty men of valor, Jeroboam, the first, we'll read of another Jeroboam later. Uh, Jeroboam becomes the king of Israel, okay? So uh, Rehoboam on the right, king of Judah, had a son Abijam, uh, and, and both of them did not follow after the Lord. But then Abijam had a son Asa. We read about Asa last week, who was wholly devoted to the Lord, an incredible man. You can get the study from last week and listen about Asa. And then Asa has a son Jehoshaphat, which we haven't studied yet, He just became king and was mentioned king. On the Israel side, Jeroboam was wicked and and an idolater and set up a false system of worship in Bethel and in Dan. Two golden calves that they would worship in Dan and two golden calves they would worship in Bethel. And you study that they still were worshiping Yahweh, but they weren't worshiping in truth according to the ways that Yahweh has to be worshiped in truth. And so they were really an idolatrous worship and the lord hated that and so jeroboam's son nadab and and uh uh was also wicked basha killed nadab and took over the throne basha had a son named elah and uh and elah was killed by zimri zimri only lasted seven days in office zimri was was a captain of half the chariots okay and um And within seven days, Omri, the general of the whole army, goes, what in the heck is he king for? Went up, started attacking Zimri, but like we studied last week, Zimri was like, hey, if I can't be king, no one can be king. Goes into the palace, lights it on fire, the whole palace falls down on top of Zimri. So uh, Elah, Zimri, Omri, kind of easy to remember. Uh, And then uh, Omri had a son named Ahab, and that's where we're at tonight, Ahab. And it just kept getting wickeder and wickeder. Each king that was king of Israel just got wickeder and wickeder, more wicked and more wicked. And uh, Ahab, it says, is the most wicked that there ever was. Um, And so that is where we are tonight. We are with the most wicked king that Israel ever had. So the two two kingdoms were Israel and, okay, who was in the north? Who was in the south? Okay, good job. Awesome. You guys are doing great so far. So... Chapter 17, Ahab is now the king, and Elijah the Tishbite, this is the first time we read about Elijah, Elijah the Tishbite of the inhabitants of Gilead said to Ahab, as the Lord God of Israel lives before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain these years except at my word. And so every other king had a prophet come speak to them, about their wickedness, and, uh, and would pronounce a curse upon their household. And for the next, you know, five chapters, from chapter 17 through chapter 22, we're going to see Ahab's ministry to um, Ahab, or excuse me, Elijah's ministry to Ahab, um, this pagan king, pagan king Ahab. Now, uh, and we won't read of that word of judgment until 21, but before Elijah deals with ahab's wicked house he's going to deal with the worshipers of this false god baal okay or baal or however you every teacher that i listen to says it different but b-a-a-l baal whatever um don't correct me jason i know you want to um but you remember last week ahab was wicked and he married a very wicked lady one of the most wicked women in history the wicked witch of the north jezebel And she was from the north of Israel, uh, from the Phoenician Empire of Tyre and Sidon. She was from way north. And so uh, that area, as we're going to study tonight, was the heart of Baal worship. And so just as Solomon married many pagan women and they turned his heart from God to worship other gods, so did Ahab marry Jezebel, and she turned his heart to worship Baal. And he set up the whole kingdom to start worshiping this pagan god, Baal of Baal. So here we have Elijah. Now, we don't really know where the region, we don't really know where Tish is. That's where he's from. But we know it's in the region of Gilead, uh, which is on the east side of the Jordan River. So it's really Gentile country. And if we didn't know any better, and most people don't know any better, he might not even be a Jew. Elijah might be a Gentile, except his name, Elijah. And whenever you hear that Jah. That means Yahweh. That's what it's speaking of in the Hebrew is Yahweh. So what it means is the Lord is my God. The Lord is my God is what his name means. So probably Jewish or something like that. You know, he has a Hebrew name. So, but he's from the region of Tish. Now, both Jesus and John the Baptist were often confused as Elijah. Uh, Elijah and John the Baptist had similar styles in First Kings or second Kings chapter one, verse eight. Uh, we're going to see that Elijah would wear a, a hairy garment with a thick leather belt. Who knows if he ate bugs or not, but we're going to see what he eats later on in this chapter. So it wouldn't surprise me, but, um, but he was very similar to John the Baptist and, and people came and asked John the Baptist point blank, are you Elijah? <laughs> Cause you're very similar to Elijah. And, uh, and, uh, and John the Baptist answered, no. Um, however, if you look at Luke chapter one, verse 17, which you don't have to turn there, uh, it just says this prophecy about John the Baptist was that he will also go before Jesus in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So John the Baptist wasn't Elijah But there's something we know about him was that he had the same spirit upon him that Elijah had on him. Now, there's something interesting as you study the spirit, uh, the spirit of God in the Old Testament days, was that the spirit wasn't on everybody like he's on us today. He, he's a person, the Holy Spirit, a person with personalities and feelings it's not a uh, he's not a force like use the force luke you know or or anything you know he is a person and he was upon elijah and we're going to study probably next week uh, or within the next couple weeks that when elijah was getting ready to be taken up into heaven in a chariot of fire he said to elisha what do you want from me and elisha said that i could have a double portion of the spirit that's on you and that was what elijah or Elisha got was a double portion of the spirit uh, who was on Elijah. And so we see 400 or more than 400 years later, uh, but in the gospels, here's John the Baptist and he has the same portion on him. He has the, the same spirit uh, who is on uh, Elijah upon him. In fact, if you're a fast flipper, turn to Matthew 11:11. 11, 11. I didn't really talk much today. At a very early hour, I went into my room and pretty much shut the door. Alicia even came over for lunch with us, and I just read a Civil War book the whole time and uh, didn't talk much at all. So, a <clears throat> little parched today as all of a sudden I'm getting into it. <clears throat> but uh, Matthew eleven eleven, this is Jesus talking about John the Bee, as I like to call him. Uh, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there is not risen one greater than John the Baptist. Isn't that incredible? Out of all the prophets and all the men, Abraham and Isaac, John the Baptist is is one that's the greatest born among women. But he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffers violence and violence taken by force. For all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John. And so what he's saying is the Old Testament went until John the Baptist. And then the Old Testament revelation period ended with John the Baptist. There was 400 years of silence before him. Um, and if you are willing to receive it, he is Elijah, who is to come. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. In other words, it's a little bit hard to understand, but if you'll have ears, you know, just try to understand, try and hear that that same spirit that was on Elijah is on John the Baptist to be bold and to proclaim and to not be afraid and to work in power and to work miracles and to do all that's in the Lord's heart and to be bold about it. You know, you want to know what's incredible? is that that same spirit who was on Elijah and who was on Elisha and who was on John the Baptist, guess who he's in today? He's in us. The scriptures tell us that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead dwells in us. And that's incredible. But do you want to know what's even more incredible? In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, Jesus says, Go into Jerusalem and wait for the promise of the Father." He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you. Not only will you have him inside of you as a seal, as a guarantee of your salvation, the word there being in, in the Hebrew, in the Greek, but now he's going to come upon you. He's going to epi is the word to be upon and he's going to baptize you continually. The word means to be continually filled so the same power that was there with elijah and we're going to read all the incredible works that the lord did through him and as bold and awesome as john the baptist was we who are also part of the kingdom of heaven are greater than even john the baptist because we have this continual filling that we can be bold and powerful and it's not just on john the baptist now but it's on thousands and millions of christians and i say it that's wrong it's a glitch. He is on thousands and millions of Christians throughout the world to operate in power. And so that's a very encouraging thing that we can work the same works that Elijah did. I'm always crying out for a double portion, a double portion of the spirit. But Elijah went to Ahab and and proclaimed this incredible prophecy, and it took faith. It took faith to, to speak this out, that it was going to happen, that there wouldn't be dew or rain for three and a half years except at Elijah's word now you might just underline that you know some of us just think that there won't be rain but there won't even be dew there's going to be no moisture there's going to be a very parched terrain (laughs) lips are going to really be dry they didn't even have chapstick back then you know people are going to be walking around you know like sponges all dried up you know just Desperately desiring some sort of moisture. Don't you love, one of my favorite times is in hot summer when the dark clouds roll in and it just starts raining. It just feels so good. Change feels good and it's refreshing and it's cool. And, and uh, three and a half years, no rain, no dew, no moisture. So very parched. Now remember the Israelites through Ahab and through his wicked wife Jezebel, they had begun worshiping who? Baal, Baal. Now Baal was kind of a a a bull looking god, lowercase G, and uh, and he was supposedly the god of the rain and the storms, even the god of fire. And it was through him that you know there was there was you know crops and there were you know there were streams and there was you know oases and things like that. And and uh, but worship to Baal was very sensual and sexual. Uh, and, and for so many men that wanted to follow hard after God Baal was such a temptation because it was just extreme perversion Just extreme perversion that was all over on every gr- hill Under every green tree there was some sort of an idol to Baal And it was very pornographic as we've studied in, in the last few weeks And so for men that wanted to follow hard after God It was a, it was a temptation for real And many men followed followed after this very pornographic God. And it's very similar to today how under every green tree practically is some form of sensuality that causes a man of God to be tempted. And the men need to be strong just like they needed to be strong back in those days and choose to follow hard after the Lord. But this God Baal who was supposedly in charge of the rain and the moisture is being confronted now by Yahweh and a prophet of Yahweh. That, hey, Yahweh says that there's not going to be rain anymore. And let's just see what your little Baal God can do about it. That's basically what's happening here. Let's see, really, if Baal is going to be able to do anything. Because Yahweh says that there there will be neither dew nor rain uh, for years, for many years. And this is all in fulfillment of what the Lord said in Deuteronomy chapter 28. And we've read it a lot in the last few weeks When the people go into the land, if they'll follow after those other gods, if they'll worship the other gods, uh, it says that um, in Deuteronomy 28, verse 15, if you don't obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments and his statutes, which I command you today, all these curses will come upon you and overtake you. And then uh, about nine verses later, verse 24, the Lord will change the rain of your land to powder and dust. From the heaven, it shall come down on you until you are destroyed. And so they've worshipped other gods. And so what what has the Lord done? He's fulfilled his word always. He always fulfills his word. And his word says, if you follow these other gods, rain will become like powder or dust. It'll be a dry, parched land. And so verse 2, then the word of the Lord came to him saying, Get away from here and turn eastward and hide by the brook Cherith, "...which flows into the Jordan. And it shall be that you shall drink from the brook, and I will have, and I have commanded the ravens to feed you there. So he we went and did according to the word of the Lord, for he went and stayed by the brook Cherith, which flows into the Jordan." So um, Elijah hides in the wilderness. The brook Cherith is there uh, on the right. I kind of made a bigger word for it. It's, it's south of the Sea of Galilee, just a little bit. It's out in the wilderness. And he, the Lord takes Elijah out to this dry area where there's normally no food or provision or anything like that. And we see in this passage that God is uh, the provider. He's our provider. He's Jehovah Jireh, the Old Testament calls him, our provider. And I'm just reminded what Paul says in Philippians chapter 4, that my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And I'm discipling a new believer. TJ is his name. You can be praying for TJ. I've mentioned him a few times. Just a guy who came into my office totally unregenerate, you know. You could see it all over him. And after we prayed, he was born again. And I've discipled him, you know, for two weeks now. And he's just so excited. And he reads, every verse in this discipleship packet we go through you just pray for tj he he's a guy you know who just like all of us the enemy wants to get to that seed and take it away that's been planted in his heart but as we go through this discipleship with packet packet with tj you know we're looking up verses what are the names of the lord and you know i'll have him read it and i'll be what's the name of the lord here god is our provider i'm like yeah it's jehovah Jireh." he's like wow he's our provider and it's just a very basic elementary principle of our faith that God is our provider. He provides our clothing, he provides our needs, he provides for our food. And you guys know the beatitude, the beatitudes, you know, that uh, about not worrying, <clears throat> they're on the the mount of Beati- uh mount of yeah, the mount of beatitudes. Uh the Lord, what's that mount called? You know where the beatitudes happened? Um okay, Mount of Beatitudes. <laughs> uh the Lord said, "Don't worry about tomorrow." What you're going to eat or what you're going to drink or what you're going to wear. And he says, doesn't the Lord feed the ravens or the sparrows or the birds of the air? They never go hungry. How much more value are you than the birds of the air? Much more value. Of course the Lord's going to provide for your food. And then he says, don't worry about what you're going to wear. Because, you know, the Lord, look at the flowers and how beautiful they are. You know, Solomon never looked as beautiful as these flowers. You know, these flowers, they get... Gathered up and burnt in the fire, you know? You're of much more value than a flower, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6. And if you're so much more value, then he's going to provide for your every need. Not necessarily wants, but he'll provide for your every need. specifically food and clothing. And I am definitely not lacking uh, in this econ- economic time. You um, could probably handle a little bit of fasting or something like that. <clears throat> But we see that the ravens came and they brought him bread and they brought him meat. God is our provider. Now, he doesn't always provide in the way that you might think he will. You know, here the Lord uses these ravens who were unclean according to the Old Testament. It's like, oh, come on, Lord, can't you at least use a dove or something like that to bring me my bread and my meat? But he provides these or he uses these these ravens here. And you can only imagine, you know, this raven bringing this, you know, I wonder what kind of meat it was. You know, it was like a mouse, you know, or was it, uh, you know, you stole like a piece of tri-tip off of a king's plate, you know, and brought it up. You know, who knows exactly. It was meat, you know. Man loves himself some meat and, uh, and some bread. But people, the Lord's your provider, but you got to be willing to accept the way he provides even if it comes in the form of a bird dropping enough food to get you by for the day. Uh, I was just listening to another guy teach, Brian Newberry, in San Diego, and he was talking about a woman he knows that was, uh, she was from China, and she was part of the persecuted church in China. And one day their house church was raided, and a few of the, uh, the boys uh, in the house church were taken, and they were put in, uh, put in prison. And, and uh, part of their, their torture and their punishment was they were starved as an example. And and so these boys were being starved and and pretty soon uh, rats and mice started bringing carrots, full carrots and, and little bags of rice and things. And they would bring them to these starving Christians. And one day the rats brought two carrots and an extra portion of rice. And so the uh the boys, you know, said, We must we'll probably have a visitor today or something. And that day another Christian was put in with them and uh put in prison and, and uh so and now I guess this, this woman's part of a church down there in Los Angeles. But um but the Lord provides, he's so faithful. And uh <clears throat> Verse 7, and it happened after a while that the brook dried up because there'd been no rain in the land, and uh and so sometimes that form of provision will stop but don't be discouraged because the lord always has another form of provision and i think this is just such a word for us in this economic time you know that he loves you and he cares much more about you than he does the birds or the flowers and he will provide for you maybe not how you think it's going to look it might not be the form of shelter that you're accustomed to or it might not be the the number of courses in a meal that you prefer but he'll provide and, um, and then the, when that provision stops, don't be afraid. The brook dried up, the ravens quit bringing the food and uh, but it it's just it just means that there's another season in life for you, or the Lord wants to take you somewhere else, and that's nothing to be afraid of. You remember when the the, the early church uh, was stuck in, was in Jerusalem, and the Lord had a heart to get them out of Jerusalem to be witnesses, and they they were just kind of stuck they just wouldn't go so herod started persecuting the church and it just pushed people out to to go out and to be witnesses it was like kicking a campfire in a forest it just caused ashes to go out and light a bigger fire and uh, i just remember the last couple years being part of in Corvallis, in the church in Corvallis, and Hewlett-Packard is one of the major employers there, and people were just getting laid off like crazy at Hewlett-Packard, and I just felt like the Lord was showing me that, you know, we've got so many incredible brothers that work at HP there that it it was time for them to go out, and to, to, you know, the Lord has a new season. He's trained you up and equipped you here in Corvallis. Now you're to go out and be lights, and it's just so neat to see men in Salt Lake City just witnessing to the mormons and have has ministry to the mormons and uh, you know just what we wouldn't know what it was to look like but the lord knew and it was never what we thought it would look like but the lord has just different ways of provision and so the brook dries up and then verse 8 and the lord, word of the lord came to him saying arise go to zarephath which belongs to sidon and dwell there see i've commanded a widow there to provide for you And uh, Zarephath up there in the north, in the red, uh, way up high. So just imagine how far he traveled from the brook Cherith up to northern Phoenicia. Now, Zarephath here is the area of of, uh, Baal worship. It's the heart of Baal worship, and it's basically Jezebel's hometown here. And so what, uh, and notice that we're going to see that they're also going through a period of, of famine and So the God of Israel is affecting even the other nations there. And so uh, there's a widow here commanded to provide. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, indeed, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, please bring me a little water in a cup that I might drink. And as she was going to get it, he called to her and said, oh, and please bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And so she said, as the Lord, your God lives, I do not have bread Only a handful of flour in a bin and a little oil in a jar. And see, I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, do not fear. Go and do as you've said, but make me a small cake from it first and bring it to me. And afterward, make some for yourself and your son. So when I first read that, I kind of laugh, you know, because it's like she's got only enough for one little cake. Yeah, totally. You do. But let me have the first little bit, and I promise that after that, there will be enough for everybody. <laughs> you know, and uh, sure, okay. You know, so for this woman to go and do that, I mean, she was basically going against every motherly instinct. You know, she's got to provide for her child and for herself. And here comes this guy she's never met before, and she's supposed to share with him first and supposedly will have enough for everybody to eat. Um, But, you know, we we just see there was something about Elijah and there's something about me that that I I believe that she she kind of knew. You know, we just read that she had been commanded to provide for him. But to me, it seems more like she was ordained. I think uh, I was reading today. The language speaks more of it. It was ordained that she would provide for him. So here she's starting to kind of see there's something about this guy. I think I am going to uh, to do that. I'm going to give him the first first bit of bread For thus says the Lord God of Israel, the bin of flour shall not be used up, nor shall the jar of oil run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the earth. So just another great statement of faith from Elijah. There will be neither dew nor rain on the land until I say so. That's a big step of faith to say that. Have you ever felt like the Lord wanted you to say something, but you were afraid to say it? Try being commanded to tell, you know, the president of the United States, it's not going to rain in the whole nation for three and a half years. Try that one on for size. You know, let's drop it down a couple notches. Try telling, you know, the Oasis, who might be low on food, that, you know, uh, the oil is just going to just start overflowing and you'll never be able to stop it from overflowing or something like that. It's like, I mean, these are big, big steps of, of faith. And we're going to see, I don't want to, I don't want to spoil it. I don't want to jump ahead, but we're going to see, and I'll just, just say this. Elijah was a man, James chapter five. Elijah was a man with a nature just like ours. That's all I'm going to say. He was a man with a nature just like ours. And there's been times where, you know, it probably mostly happens on missions trips for me. Uh, It's probably because on mission trips, you're always just constantly preparing your heart for what the Lord wants to do. And there's just times where the Lord tells you to do the most crazy things and you do it. You're just in a season of, I'm just bold. And you just go and you do it and you go get in front of that microphone and you preach the gospel and, and you, you know, you, you make a call for a couple hundred people to come to Christ or, or, you know, just there's, there's crazy things that the Lord asks you to do and you do it out of faith and the Lord comes through. And it's incredible if you will just step out in faith just to see what the Lord will do for those whose hearts are loyal and obedient to him. So she went away, verse 15, and did according to the word of Elijah. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The bin of flour was not used up, nor did the jar of oil run dry, according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke by Elijah. So uh, just incredible provision there from the Lord. Now it happened after these things that the son of the woman who owned the house became sick. And his sickness was so serious that there was no breath left in him. So she said to Elijah, what have I to do with you, O man of God? Have you come to me to bring my sin to remembrance and to kill my son? And so, you know, she sees this sickness in her house and she's convicted of sin. Now, every time there's sickness in the house or a death in the family, that doesn't mean that there's sin in the house or sin in a certain, you know, God's not judging every time. That's a very unbiblical principle to, to put that on somebody, that God's not healing you because there's sin in your life. But there are times that that is the case. You just need to like keep track of the word of God and the conviction of, your, of the spirit in your heart. And if he's not convicting you of something and you're seeking him, just to know that, hey, the Lord's just working something out in me. You know, there was a blind man in the Gospels and the Pharisees asked Jesus, you know, by which parent, know, well, what sin did the parents commit that this guy's a blind guy? And Jesus said, neither, but that God might be glorified through him. And so uh, the Lord is glorified as we go through times. But this woman from the region of Phoenicia, no doubt had ties to all worship. Um, was, was convicted. He doesn't argue with her. But when he goes in verse 19, he, he cries out to the Lord. He says, give me your son. And so he took, took him out of her arms and carried him to the upper room where he was staying and laid him out on his bed. And then he cried out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God, have you also brought tragedy on the widow with whom I lodge? So he's also asking the Lord, is this something in your, of your doing, Lord, or is it just, you know, the fever or is it just... You know, something like that. Is it just, you know, swine flu or something like that that's going around? Or is it some, something divine, something that's happening right now that you're, that you're, uh, you're moving or you're bringing about, um, you know, by this widow with whom I lodged by killing her son. And he stretched himself out on the child three times and cried out to the Lord and said, oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. So, you know, just interesting, the prophets would always kind of do visual things uh, to illustrate what the Lord was doing. And uh, we've studied that with, um, with uh, who was it, Ahijah was uh, the prophet who broke his garment into 12 pieces to symbolize the, the breaking apart of the 12 tribes a couple chapters ago. You know, the, the prophets were constantly doing that. One prophet, we're going to read in a couple chapters, says, strike, strike me in the face right now. You know, I have something to show you guys. The Lord's going to strike you guys, or something. You know, it's like they were constantly doing physical things to show what the Lord was doing. And and so here, you know, perhaps Elijah was just showing, you know, the the spirit of the Lord is going to come upon this child. And it's interesting. In Acts chapter twenty, verse seven, Paul was was teaching and uh, teaching in a house, and he taught until midnight. And uh, a boy named what was his name, um, Eutychus. Eutychus was listening, and he fell out of the window and uh, fell asleep because the, the sermon went on until midnight, for goodness sakes, falls out of the window, falls asleep, or excuse me, not falls asleep, falls asleep, falls out of the window, and dies during this really long Bible study. And so Paul went out and, uh, and prayed for Eutychus and, and laid on him just like Elijah did. He laid across Eutychus, and, uh, <clears throat> and Eutychus came back to life. So you guys think you have it hard with me teaching so long? You know, Paul would go to midnight on all y'all. And uh, I was listening to Brian Newberry from San Diego teach this very passage. He went an hour and a half. So um, I could do that if you guys would like, but <laughs> I really could. Um, whatever, as the Lord li- as the Lord leads, right? Um, no, not as the Lord leads. <laughs> um, so he lays out on the guy, cries out, oh, Lord, my God, I pray, let this child's soul come back to him. And then the Lord heard the voice. The Lord heard the voice of Elijah. That might just be something to underline there. Uh, you ever just feel like your your cries aren't being heard by the Lord? Um, you know sometimes you you feel that way because there's sin in your life, and you do need to examine your heart and, and ask the Lord if there's anything quenching the Holy Spirit in your life but um, but if the Lord you know shows you no, just I want you to keep praying, I want you to keep crying out to me. The psalmist says. I cried out to the Lord, I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me. I cried out to the Lord, I cried out to the Lord, and he heard me. The answer might not always come the way you want it to, or the timing that you want it to, but he does hear you. And here, the Lord heard the voice of Elijah, and the soul of the child came back to him, and he revived. And Elijah took the child and brought him down from the upper room into the house and gave him to his mother. And Elijah said, See, your son lives. Then the woman said to Elijah, Now by this, I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord in your mouth is the truth. And uh, similar things happened to Jesus when he would do miracles. You know, people would say, you know, for instance, even when Nicodemus came in the night and asked Jesus what one must do to enter the kingdom of heaven, he said to Jesus, man, I know by the works of your hands that you're doing that you're the Christ. I know it. And in the same manner, this woman of Zarephath, um, that's a really hard word to say, but Zarephath, right? Um, the woman of Zarephath saw these works and she just knew, she was convinced that uh, he was definitely a prophet of the Lord. So, um, but also, it's interesting that Jesus, uh, when he was rejected in Nazareth, and uh, after he was rejected there at Nazareth, he, he mentioned to the people, right before they almost tried to throw him off a cliff, uh, it says there in Luke chapter 4, verse 24, uh, Jesus said, "'Assuredly, I say to you, no prophet is accepted in his own country.'" But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heaven was shut up three years and six months and there was a great famine throughout all the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon to a woman who was a widow. And many lepers were in Israel. We're going to study in Second Kings. Many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elijah the prophet and none of them was cleansed except Naaman the Syrian. And so Jesus says, you know, Israel, your heart was so hard that I went. I took Elijah clear up to Zarephath to minister to this Gentile woman because she had faith. And so he, you know, he says there were a lot of widows there in Israel that Elijah could have ministered to, but none of them were walking in faith. And so he sent him up to Zarephath, and here this woman is just exercising, uh, exercising faith. Uh, chapter eighteen came to pass after many days that the word of the Lord came to Elijah in the third year, saying, go present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain on the earth. So chapter 17, verse 1, he goes to Ahab and says, there won't be any rain. It's been three years. The famine lasts three and a half years. So the famine is almost over, and he comes and he meets with Ahab, or uh, he, he's to go and send to Ahab that rain will be sent on the earth. And uh, so Elijah went to present himself to ahab and there was a severe famine there in samaria samaria is that region there of northern israel it's basically where the capital of northern israel was and um and so elijah went to present himself to ahab who's ahab the king what's he like yeah the worst guy (laughs) Um, and uh so ahab had called obadiah verse three who was in charge of his house now obadiah feared the lord greatly so obadiah here is an officer in charge of ahab's property he's not just in case you're wondering not the same prophet uh, not the same guy as the prophet that had that name but it's so cool i just have it underlined here obadiah feared the lord greatly just how incredible it is that in the midst of an apostate nation of israel A nation that's fallen away from the Lord. Uh, In the midst of serving a king who was more wicked than any other king that had ever been. You have this man Obadiah who feared, he revered, he had reverence for the Lord greatly. And um, for so it was while Jezebel massacred the prophets of the Lord. Gives you a little bit insight into what Ahab's wife Jezebel was like. She was massacring the prophets of the Lord that Obadiah had taken 100 prophets and hidden them 50 to a cave and had fed them with bread and water. And Ahab had said to Obadiah, go into the land, to all the springs of water and to all the brooks. Perhaps we may find grass to keep the horses and mules alive so that we will not have to kill any livestock. And so something kind of sad here is that Ahab is more concerned about the livestock having water and and food and not having to kill them than he is about his people who are starving and dying all across the land. And that widow was just about to cook herself one last little cake before she ate it and her and her child died. But effort, a massive effort where Ahab the king goes one direction to find grass and Obadiah goes another direction uh it's for the animals and so that's just a good sign of a an apostate nation when they care more about the animals than they do about the people and Lindsay and I were watching tv last night and some actor I don't even know his name he does have the last name white though so let that be a warning to you Stuart um I recognized him but he was on this commercial for PETA and he was like I was sitting there the other day and I realized that my dog and a pig look a lot alike. (laughs) They have four legs. And so how could I eat my dog? So that is why I do not eat animals and blah, blah, blah. And he just went off on how save the animals, save the pigs and all this stuff. And I'm like, dude, we are slaughtering our babies in this nation. Murder by the millions. And you care about eating your dog or a pig because they look they have four legs and if yeah you know, goodness gracious it's just a sign you know we care more about saving the whales than we do about saving the little babies and um i think it's just a sign of where we're i think the lord's mercy is still on us from our forefathers and you know maybe the few that are still uh loving jesus but um you know we are just setting ourselves up for for great judgment and um So, verse 6, so they divided the land between them to explore it. Ahab went one way by himself, and Obadiah went another way by himself. And as Obadiah was on his way, suddenly Elijah met him, and he recognized him. Why would he recognize him? Because he looked like John the Baptist. You know, not many guys cruise around in a nice, you know, camel hair outfit with a big, thick leather belt. I mean, I do, but not many other guys do. Um, Should have seen me on Halloween. It was awesome. Um, And he recognized him, and Obadiah fell on his face and said, Is that you, my Lord Elijah? And he answered him, it is I, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And so he said, how have I sinned that you are delivering your servant into the hand of Ahab to kill me? As the Lord your God lives, there's no nation or kingdom where my master has not sent someone to hunt for you. And when they said he's not here, he took an oath from the kingdom or nation that they could not find you. And now you say, go tell your master, Elijah is here. And it shall come to pass as soon as I'm gone from you that the spirit of the Lord will carry you to a place I do not know. So when I go to tell Ahab and he cannot find you, he'll kill me. And so he's saying, man, that, how could you ask me to do something like that? That's a death sentence. You know, we've looked everywhere for you. He has, you know, he wants to kill you. Jezebel has a price on your head. He made all the other kings swear that they don't know where you are. And, uh, and I just know that when I go to tell him where you are, you're just going to disappear. I just know it. How could you? I'm going to get killed here. And um, and uh, and Elijah just said, hey, or, or excuse me, and then Obadiah said, I, your servant, have feared the Lord from my youth. And, um, and just a quick note on that, again, just how incredible it is that there was this young man, Obadiah, who since he was a baby, loved Jesus in the midst of an apostate world. That's a word for you young people out there. And it's incredible as you read church history, and even there's incredible stories of even the history of this nation of young people standing up for Jesus even in the midst of an apostate nation and how revival has happened when young people have gotten together to pray when they'll follow the lord uh there's that's it's incredible obadiah here's being used by the lord since his youth uh he's he's feared the lord <clears throat> was it not reported to to you elijah that i what i did when jezebel killed the prophets of the lord how i hid a hundred men of the Lord's prophets, 50 to a cave and fed them with bread and water. He is putting out some major effort here uh, to serve the Lord. And now you say, go tell your master Elijah here, he will kill me. And, um, and then Elijah said, as the Lord of hosts lives before whom I stand, I will surely present myself to him today. So Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him and Ahab went to meet Elijah Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And then he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have, and that you've forsaken the commandments of the Lord and have followed the Baals. I just love that, you know, is that you, troubler of Israel? And, you know, it's just to a dark world. The people who carry a banner of light are troubling them. The cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It's a, it's an offense. It's a stumbling block. It troubles the world system when we stand up for righteousness. And a couple times in Acts, you know, the, the disciples would get arrested. And the accusers of the disciples would say, they're tr- greatly troubling our city. <laughs> they're greatly troubling our city, these spirit-filled, bold proclaimers of Jesus. And then a little bit later, you know, another... People as they're persecuting the, the apostles would say, uh, They've turned this city upside down for Jesus. That's how they put it. And they're just angry. They want to kill him. They've turned this city upside down for Jesus, when really they're turning the city right side up for Jesus. And, uh, but to the world, um, anyone who stands for righteousness is a, is a troubler. But really, we all know it's the world. It's the Omris and it's the Ahab. It's the wicked ones that are troubling. You know, who, who was responsible for the famine? in israel it was ahab it was his dad omri they had chances to be obedient but they wouldn't and they followed the baals it's it's their fault Um, and uh verse 19 now therefore send and gather all israel to me on mount carmel the 450 prophets of baal and the 400 prophets of asherah who eat at jezebel's table 850 false prophets Eating at the Wicked Witch of the North's table—that is one long table, my friends. Uh, that's a lot of food too. Uh, so he wants to gather them all there on Mount Carmel. So Ahab sent for all the children of Israel and gathered the prophets together there on Mount uh, Mount Carmel. So Mount Carmel—it's just a—you can see there. Um, we'll just go back real quick on the on the map to go to Mount Carmel. Uh, the blue wording on the left. There's a little thin arrow that points. Uh, Right to where it is there, and then there's little black words that say Mount Carmel. So it's by the coast, but it's a, it's a, it's a tall mountain. Someday we'll go there together. It's one of the, one of the very, very special places in Israel to visit. Um, but as you're there up on the mount, uh, you can see the ocean, you can see the Mediterranean Sea, and then, uh, and then on the other side, you can see the borders. From, from that spot, you can see all the borders of Israel except the south border you can't see from there so you can see lebanon up in the north you'd be able to see tyre and sidon uh, it's just a gorgeous view and then as you're there of course you know the history of of what elijah did on mount carmel so this is uh one side of the mountain and then go ahead and flip to the next sli- slide um and this is the east side of the mountain going down into the the brook kishon and this would have been about where um the the section that we're reading now took place so just imagine right now where we're at in the word All of Israel, millions of people gathering uh, at the, you know, and it's actually much steeper than it really looks, but gathering all along the mountainside there uh, to to hear what Elijah has to say. Verse 21, um, and Elijah came to all the people and said, how long will you falter between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, follow him. But the people answered him not a word. And so Elijah just finally, it's as if he draws a line in the sand and calls everyone to make a decision. If Yahweh is God, then live for him and follow him. You're, you're, you're Israel. You've been named by him. But if Baal is God, then follow him and don't even call yourself a believer anymore. And sadly, that's a, that's a place that even Christians are called. That's a choice that Christians are called to make at times. When someone who is named a brother calls himself or herself a Christian and is in fellowship, or, you know, comes to fellowship, and yet outside of church they're involved in all sorts of sinful practices, there comes a time where we have to call those people on the carpet and say, hey, if Jesus is God, then follow him and live for him. If he's not God, then just wholeheartedly follow that sinful lifestyle that you're in and quit calling yourself a Christian because you're putting a bad name on the church and you're putting a bad name on Jesus. And so today there's a line drawn in the sand to choose now. How long will you falter between two opinions? That word falter means to hop or to skip over two opinions or to hesitate between two opinions or to limp. Or to dance or to become lame. You know, and when we, when you falter between two opinions. And isn't that so true that you become lame? You know, when you're lukewarm, you become lame. And there's that warning to us in Revelation chapter 3 to the church in Laodicea. Jesus says, I know your works and that you're neither hot nor cold. But I wish that you'd either be cold or hot. But because you're lukewarm, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. Just don't call yourself a Christian. Don't say you believe in me. Don't, don't stand up for me. Don't do anything for me. If you're going to live for that other God or for that other pleasure or that sinful lifestyle, just don't even call yourself a Christian anymore. Just be cold or be hot. But don't be in the middle. Don't ride the fence. Don't be lukewarm. It makes Jesus sick. We've all drank lukewarm drinks. That's disgusting, you know? It does make you want to spit it out, spew it out, vomit it out, the strong language There says, you know, no one, Jesus says, no one can serve two masters. Either you're going to love the one and hate the other, or you're going to love the one and hate the other. You can't serve these two masters. What are the two masters that you're serving today? What are you faltering or becoming lame because you you just can't decide? You guys, today is the day to decide, not tomorrow. Today is the day to decide which opinion are you going to follow. Don't choose the middle ground. You might as well just be full-blown cold if you choose the middle ground. How long are you going to limp with one foot in the world and impotency and without power, you know, and with one foot over there for Jesus? Our lives are so short. Do you really want your short little, you know, you saw that timeline, you know, our life is is so short, it's a little dot. You know, it's been said that it's sad that on on a tombstone, you notice that, you know, the, the the representations of a person's life is that dash between the date you were born and the date you died. That's everything right there. That dash. That's how short your life is. Jesus or James tells us that life is like a vapor. It just it's here one minute and it goes away. Is that really how you want your one life that you're given to to be lived? Man, I want my life to be hot for Jesus. I want mine to be fervent for Jesus. I want mine to be Everyone that knows me knows I'm all for Jesus, and I just won't shut my mouth about Jesus. And I'm not going to compromise. I'm going to live 100% for Jesus. The story is told of a farmer who owned an apple orchard. And he had this one tree uh, in the apple orchard that was right on the property line, right smack dab between his farm orchard and a public school that was next door. It was smack dab on the property line. And so he just claimed it. He built a fence, and he kind of built that fence just right around that tree, But, you know, the kids would always come and they'd always eat the apples out of that tree. And so he thought ahead and he started going out before school got out and beating the tree with a stick and just bashing it and trying to get all the apples to fall. So he collect them so the kids wouldn't get them. Well, then the kids would get out of school and they'd run over to the tree and they'd start beating the tree to try to get the leftover apples out of it. You guys, isn't that what living on the fence is like? There's nothing pleasurable about having one foot in the world and one foot for Jesus you know you're out there in the world and you're partying and you're drinking and you're getting drunk and you're living it up and you're having sex and the whole time the holy spirit's in you going don't do this don't do this and it's not pleasant the second you you partake might be pleasant but oh you're so guilty afterwards it's just oh it's just uh, you know and then you you come over to church and you try to act like nothing's wrong and everything's okay and, you know, you try to just muster up everything that you can to sing that worship song, you know, and so that nobody will know. And, and everyone you see, they know, they just know it. Someone's going to come confront me on it right now. Oh gosh, oh gosh, you know, and there's nothing, you're getting beat up in the world and you're getting beat up at church. You might as well just pick your sides and end that misery on yourself. And so the call is given to Israel, choose one or choose the other. And I love that call. Don't you love that? Today is the day to make the decision. And then Elijah said to the people, I alone am left a prophet of the Lord, but Baal's prophets are 450 men. And so, you know, he knows that there's those hundred prophets at least being held in the caves by Obadiah. But what he's saying there is, I'm the only prophet who's making a bold public stand for God right now. The other guys are hiding and Lord bless them. You know, they're prophets of the Lord. But here I am. I'm the only guy that's standing up on a mountain proclaiming it's time to choose sides. There's one of me, and you've got 450 prophets of Baal. So basically what he's showing to the people is there's going to be a contest, and on his side, he's he's the underdog. And we're going to see in every way he's going to be the underdog. There's one of him and 450 prophets of Baal. Uh, therefore, let him give us two bowls, and let them choose one bowl for themselves, and cut in pieces, so they get to pick the bowl. So that's, again, that's a kind of the home court advantage, you know, you get to pick the perfect bowl for that God to choose. Uh, Let them cut it in pieces, lay it on the wood, but put no fire under it. And I will prepare the other bowl, lay it on the wood, and and I won't put any fire under it. And then you call in the name of your gods, and I will call in the name of the Lord. And the God who answers by fire, he is God. So all the people answered and said, uh, it is well spoken. So, you know, Baal was supposed to be the God specifically of storms and rain and lightning and fire. And so if, God, if Baal was real, it should have no problem lighting this altar on fire. Um, but Yahweh, our God, all throughout Scripture, he's a God of fire. Scripture tells us he's a consuming fire. He's a jealous God wanting all of our hearts, Hebrews tells us. He led the nations by a pillar of fire. He met Moses as a flaming bush of fire. Fire always came down and consumed offerings. The church is baptized with the Holy Spirit and with fire. Speaking of the consuming power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, in, in, on, the, on the day of Pentecost, tongues was evidenced by a, a, uh, tongues of fire resting upon the believers. Um, our lives are judged by fire. We see in, in 1 Corinthians. Jesus' eyes in Revelation are eyes of fire. Before the throne of God, there's lamps lit. Lit by fire. And so, two gods of fire. Which God is, is going to come through in this test? you know, and, um, and here we're going to see which claim is true. Now, Jeremiah uh, ha- has an awesome little prophecy about how stupid idols are, but um, Isaiah does too. And for the sake of time, I'm just going to read Isaiah's and listen, listen what idols are like. Um, Isaiah 40, let's just flip there. Isaiah 44:13. be a fast Bible flipper. Uh, center of your Bible should be Psalms. Flip over to the right Proverbs. Uh, just keep going to the right and you'll see Isaiah there. Isaiah 44:13. It says, the carpenter measures with a line and makes an outline with a marker. He roughs it out with chisels and marks it with compasses. He shapes it in the form of a man, of man in all its glory, that it may dwell in a shrine. He cuts down cedars or perhaps took a cypress or an oak. He let it grow among the trees of the forest or planted a pine and the rain made it grow. It is man's fuel for burning. He's talking about trees here, you know, wood. It's it's man's fuel for burning. Some of it he takes and warms himself. He kindles a fire and bakes bread. But he also fashions a god and worships it. He makes an idol and he bows down to it. Half of the wood he burns in the fire. Over it he prepares his meal. He roasts his meat and eats his fill. He also warms himself and says, Ha, I am warm. I see the fire. From the rest he makes a god, his idol. He bows down to it and worships. He prays to it and says, Save me, you are my god. They know nothing. They understand nothing. Their eyes are plastered over so they cannot see, and their minds closed so they cannot understand. No one stops to think. No one has the knowledge or understanding to say, half of it I used for fuel. I even baked bread over its coals. I roasted meat and I ate. So I make a detestable thing from what is left? Shall I bow down to a block block of wood? He feeds on ashes. Uh, A deluded heart misleads him. He cannot save himself or say, is not this thing in my right hand a lie? Remember these things, O Jacob, for you are my servant, O Israel. I have made you. You are my servant, O Israel. I will not forget you. So idols, and I think I accidentally copied that and pasted it in NIV version, if that was a little tweak to you guys. Um, you know, the guy goes out of the woods, chops down a tree, uses it to, for all of his needs, and then makes himself a little idol and says, oh, help me, you know? And it's just like, whoa, just stop and think about that for a second. That's ridiculous. And um, But basically, you know, the gods can't do these false gods can't do anything they can't talk they can't breathe they can't see they have no brain they can't think they're not they're nothing and so elijah goes into this competition just in confidence that um that, that what's going to happen is going to be um an incredible thing and um i guess we'll just read the rest of the contest since it's getting late um so all the people answered at the end of verse 24 and said okay it's well spoken this sounds like a good contest Now Elijah said to the prophets of Baal, choose one bowl for yourselves and prepare it first for you are many and call on the name of your God, but put no fire under it. So they took the bowl, which was given to them, and they prepared it and called on the name of Baal from morning until noon, saying, "O Baal, hear us. But there was no voice. No one answered. Then they leapt about the altar, which they had made. So they're jumping all over. And that's the same word that 21 uses. How long will you falter between two opinions? And, and here they are. They're, they're, they're faltering around the altar or they're limping around the altar. This dance, it's, it's faltering. And, uh, and so, um, they leapt about the altar, which they made. Verse 27. And so it was at noon that Elijah mocked them. So many hours had gone by. He starts making fun of them and says, cry aloud for he's a God. Either he's meditating or he's busy or he's on a journey. Or perhaps he's sleeping and he must be awakened. So he's just joking and laughing, and, you know. And it's funny, the, the original Hebrew language here for meditating actually means um, relieving himself or going to the bathroom. And in fact, the New Living Translation just, it, it words it, perhaps your God is on the toilet, you know. And, uh, and so it's just, he's, he's joking. He's like, come on, you know. If he was a God, none of these things would hinder him. If he was on a trip or anything, he would be able to, to come through and be faithful here and uh, maybe he's asleep and needs to be awakened verse 28 so they cried aloud and they cut themselves as was their customs with knives and lances until the blood gushed out of them man it just goes to show that a person cutting themselves has its roots in idolatry and paganism and demonic activity and um and so man when you see people going through that you really need to pray and maybe take them aside and just show them even here how these false prophets cut themselves you know in Deuteronomy the lord says you're my people you're not to cut yourselves like that uh, there's there's darkness involved it's it's wickedness and uh, and so their blood is gushing here and uh, when midday was past they prophesied until the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice but there was no voice no one answered And then no one paid attention. Then Elijah said to all the people, come near to me. So all the people came near to him and he repaired the altar of the Lord that was taken, broken down. And Elijah took 12 stones according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Jacob to whom the word of the Lord had come saying, Israel shall be your name. Then with the stones, he built an altar in the name of the Lord, and he made a trench around the altar large enough to hold two sias of seed. And he put the wood in order, cut the bowl in pieces and laid it on the wood and said, fill four water pots with water and pour it on the burnt sacrifice and on the wood. And then he said, do it a second time. And they did it a second time. And he said, do it a third time. And they did it a third time. So, the water ran all around the altar, and he also filled the trench with water so no doubt the servants pouring the water on this thing are saying, "Okay, buddy, last time I checked it 's supposed to be a burnt sacrifice you know and and so it 's really neat what he 's doing is he 's eliminating all possibility for any doubt of the people that if this thing were to spontaneously combust or just a, a random lightning bolt or something you know that that you know there's water everywhere here it 's like There's a rainstorm that's happened, you know. I don't have a little match in my pocket, you know, or a little thing that pops out of my sleeves that, like, lights it on fire, you know. If this thing's going to light on fire, it's going to be divine. It's going to be incredible. It's going to be the Lord, a work of God. And um, so it came to pass, verse 36, uh, at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in, in Israel And I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Hear me, O Lord. Hear me, that this people may know that you are the Lord God, and that you have turned their hearts back to you again. I just love Elijah's prayer here. And the fire of the Lord fell, and consumed the burnt sacrifice, and the wood, and the stones, and the dust, And it licked up the water that was in the trench. I mean, don't we just love that? Everything, even non-flammable things, even things that don't burn when lightning bolts hit it. You know, stone got consumed. Dust and dirt got consumed. uh, And it licked up the water there. Uh, And and when the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord is. He is God. And so there's this heart change here. This people who's been, who've has been who been part of an apostate kingdom, an idolatrous uh, system of worship, came back out of their backslidings. They came out of their backslidings to follow God with all their heart. That's an incredible thing. You know, Jeremiah makes a plea to the people. And he says, come out of your backslidings and I'll heal your backslidings. Are you backslidden tonight? You know, that word backsliding speaks of an animal going through some sort of, sort of a chute of a or an alleyway and it slips and falls backwards in its own fecal material. And I'll never forget one of the youth camps that we did where a, a, a young man had been convicted of his sin and he repented and he just shared at an open mic time that he had been more than backsliding, he'd been back tumbling. Maybe that's you tonight. Maybe you're back tumbling or you're on the verge of backsliding. And tonight you need to decide, you need to come out of that lukewarm state and you need to say, Lord, you are Lord, you are God. There's no other. I want to follow you with all my heart and I want my life to mean something for you. And Elijah said to them, seize the prophets of Baal. Do not let one of them escape. So they seized them and Elijah brought them down to the brook Kishon and executed them there. And so we're going to see, you know, that. It seems to Elijah that the days of Baal are over after this point, but uh, Jezebel is still around, and Ahab, who's just witnessed this, is still married to Jezebel. And so you see a little bit of maybe sort of a heart change in him, but his wicked wife is still causing him to to compromise. And so that's where we'll close tonight. I can't believe um, it's already this late, and we only made it that far. Um, But we'll study next week. Um, uh, Elijah's prayer for the water to come back. So worship team, come on up. You can put your Bibles away. And if um, somebody wouldn't mind, I think Kevin already went. Never mind. Lord, as we just pulled apart your word and savored it, Lord, Father, I just pray that you would just show us your kindness and your power, Lord, and all that you are, and that it would just cause us to bow the knee to you tonight. Father, wherever there's lukewarmness, wherever there's faltering between two opinions, wherever we've become lame because we're owned by two gods. Lord, I just show, pray that you'd show us what those gods are. We want to just cast our idols before you tonight. Lord, it's incredible just how your word is so true and, and how even the geographic locations are really there and just how you can go to this mountain and know that you did that work there, Lord. But How incredible that you want to do that work in us tonight, Lord. You want to consume us as you tell us to be living sacrifices for you. Lord, we know that that you require us to choose. And so I just pray that tonight we would choose you, that our opinion would be of you, Lord. And Lord, just tonight where there needs to be response, I just pray that we wouldn't harden our heart, but we would respond to you. And just as we go into worship tonight, maybe that's you and you've been faltering between two opinions or maybe you've you've just full on had one opinion and that was for something else, some other idea, some other God, some other religion. But tonight you're being told to, to make a decision now that you're confronted with the God that proves himself and you need to make a decision now. Are you going to choose God, the God of the Bible? Or are you going to choose that pleasure or that person or that practice or that other religion? And there needs to be a choice tonight, even here on a Wednesday night. And you need to make a stand. You need to make a decision. Oh, how bold the people of Israel were to make their decision known. They cried out. And just tonight, there needs to be boldness on your part. If you falter between two opinions tonight. And tonight, there's just going to be a confession made. And just as we go to worship, if you choose Yahweh tonight. If you choose the God of the Bible just stand where you're at tonight. Stand for him. If you don't choose him, don't stand. I know everyone else might be standing, but you don't stand if in your heart you're not choosing the God of the Bible. And as you stand, you're, you're putting away all those other gods, all those other things that are just taking your, your attentions or your passions or your, your resources, your heart. And you're putting those things on Jesus tonight. You're declaring him to be your God. You're declaring him to be your Lord, your Savior. You're choosing Him instead of your sin. And you're asking Him to wash away your sin and to make you clean and bright and white. And so if you choose Yahweh tonight, just go ahead and stand. But if you don't choose Him, it's going to be evident and it needs to be clear. I don't choose you, Lord. And I'm here sitting tonight. And as you sit there, just know that we, we're praying for you. We just we just long for you to know the Lord the way that we know Him tonight. And the choice is still the choice is still yours. You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on Calvary Chapel of Crook County or to contribute to this ministry, check out our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com or you may write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon, 97754. Thank you for listening and God bless.